everybody awakens tomorrow, we have an economic catastrophe. <laughs> exactly. Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. And yet, for many of us, our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us. We tend toward negativity, self-pity, jealousy, or fear. We see what we don't have instead of what we do. We think things that hold us back and dampen our spirit. But it's not just about thinking. Our actions matter. It takes conscious, consistent, and creative effort to make a life worth living. This podcast is about how other people keep themselves moving in the right direction, how they feed their good wolf. Being active is more important than ever, and that's why I am excited to introduce On, perhaps the best kept secret in the running world. I love these shoes. I have been buying them for four years, and I don't buy anything else. They were founded in 2010 in Zurich, Switzerland, and it's the fastest growing running brand globally. Their philosophy is that you should run how you were born to run. Instead of correcting your movement, on shoes react to your individual running motion. As I said, I love these shoes. I use them for trail running, for all uh, running on the streets, and just day-to-day wear. They are amazing. And on is offering our listeners an exclusive offer. Try the shoes or gear for up to 30 days commitment-free. Head to on-running.com slash feed and pick your favorite shoes and apparel items. Apply the code TRYONFEED at checkout to test your new products for 30 days. Love them, keep them. Not convinced? Send them back for a full refund. That's on-running.com slash feed and the promo code is TRYONFEED. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to part two, the continuation of last week's interview with Adya Shanti. He's the author of The Way of Liberation, Falling into Grace, True Meditation, and The End of Your World. Adya Shanti is an American-born spiritual teacher devoted to serving the awakening of all beings. His teachings are an open invitation to stop, inquire, and recognize what is true and liberating at the core of all existence. Adi Ashanti also runs the Omega Retreat, which Eric, our own The One You Feed podcast, Eric, has taken part in. All right, we are back for part two, and we were talking in the last section a little bit about practice and self-inquiry. And I want to just spend a couple more minutes there because you said that is a difficult thing to do as a practice, or, mm-hmm. or how do you do it? So I want to explore that a little bit more because I do think it's a absolutely critical part of what you teach. Mm -hmm. So how can someone work with self-inquiry themselves and not have it become almost a matter of going through and checking off the boxes? Like, am I my body? Nope. Am I my, you know, thoughts? Nope. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's a powerful thing Mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. Right. If and, one does it and sees, like, just you yeah. say, oh, no, I guess I'm not that. Right. And you're just doing it slow enough so that you get impacted. It, it, exactly. And and that's sort of the I am not, you know, I think they, I don't know what, netty netty or, yeah, you know. Netty, not this, not that. Uh, not this, not that. So I'm looking at what I'm not. So that's one approach. Yeah. What are the others? Well, the other approach would be just the opposite approach, actually. The first one, the netty netty, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to isolate self right, in its most rudimentary form. That's what you're doing by saying, oh, I'm not a thought, I'm not a feeling, I'm not, you know, all these things seem to go, and then, but there's something irreducible that's, that's still here. So, right? It's a strategy. It's, it's cutting the world in, into bits that doesn't actually belong into bits, but it's, it's using discrimination in the wisest way. Mm-hmm. So the op- opposite of something like that would just be you start from all-inclusiveness. I remember this one quote from Nisargadatta where he said, my guru told me that I was the ultimate reality and I meditated on it until I realized that it was true. So he had a positive, affirmative Mm -hmm. statement 
and the way his teacher told him to work with it was just meditate on the sense of I am, the feeling of the felt sense of I am or I. And so that's what he did. So that's a, that's a, that's a more inclusive yep. approach, right? The neti neti is, is a little bit more, it's, it's easier to be precise with it because you can yep. remove things. Is there any more instruction to provide on that meditative, the sense I am? Yeah. Because the, I, I yeah. hear that, but it is a, not quite sure how you do that. Yeah, that's you know? a great question. Because that's, for all these practices, this is, that's what makes sense. That's the key ingredient, right? How, how exactly do I do that? How exactly do I do that? So the I am. So the, the key to all these things is, of course, to remember that the phrases are trying to evoke something in your experience of being. It's always a good thing to remember. I'm doing this so I evoke something that already exists, but I may not be conscious of yet, right? Mm -hmm. So if you know that that's what you're doing, so then you go, okay, what's my sense? I feel, well, that's going to happen below your neck for the most part, neck down. What's my feeling or my sense when I say the words inside, I am? And then I just see, what, what's that felt sense that comes right after, right? And so when we come to that... There are different unique ways that that shows up, but overall, from person to person, it's relatively similar. It's like, oh, it's kind of quiet. There's some sort of sense of a kind of presence, I guess you could say. There seems to be some quality of stillness, although the wor world hasn't stopped turning on its axis. So in that sense, you would be, okay, then stay with that, with what those words evoke in your experience of being. And then when your mind, you know, wanders or something, then you utilize the sort of the primer word, <clears throat> I am, um, to prime the pump, to kind of like reorient you back into almost like a, a, the experience of presence. See, then you're wor working with it in a much more precise way than just sitting around wondering. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it's, you really, oh, this is, this, is, this is to help me reconnect immediately into a part of my experience that I usually am disconnected from. That's a lot of what inquiry does. It's not the only thing, because it also gets us to see what's not really real, what's yeah. not really true. Um, that's the other side of it, too, where right. we just have to be open to seeing how extraordinarily wrong we are, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> about almost everything. <laughs> Yeah. And that's that's no small task, just to even be open to it. Like, gosh, I might have something wrong. Anything else on self-inquiry before we move on? Because there's a transition point. But I think that's, I mean, we could go on and on, you know, we just kind of open the door. But if somebody, say, is listening to us and goes, well, I want to try that. Yeah. Maybe I've heard of it, but yeah. I think we've touched upon, it has to touch upon your immediate experience of being. If you say, I am, what's your immediate experience of being? And that's very different than what, what other associated thoughts does it cause you to have? Yeah. This is an immediate experience. Right. And it's almost, at least for me, one of those things that it's thoughts. Okay, let me try this again. Do it. it like, it's something mm -hmm. I think you, you can work your way towards dropping the conceptual piece. Absolutely. Over. At some point, you don't even need to say, I am. Yeah. You may not need it. It may it might actually you might get to a point where it stops even feeling relevant yep. to you. But the, ex, the the kind of the experiential qualities are still there. Yep. So talking about we're wrong about a lot of different things made me think of a course you taught I don't know when it was, I'm terrible with time, but called Taking the One Seat. Oh yeah. Yeah. There were a couple things about that class that, that I really noted. One was it was very focused on spiritual or transcendent values mm -hmm. and where I want to, I want to get deeper into that, but I want to tie that to one of the things you said as you were talking about these values is this isn't about good and bad, mm -hmm. but it's beyond good and bad, mm -hmm. but it's still good mm -hmm. in a way. And so talk, talk <laughs> through that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So we all know like good and bad as opposites, right? How, what we could take it in the moral sphere or, you know, is dropping a brick on my foot good or bad? Mm -hmm. You know, if it hurts, we'll call that bad. It's not morally bad, but it just hurts. So there's that kind of, the, the play of opposites where you're really used to. And then there's a kind of good, I think the, the closest 
to give people like a resonance and something they've probably experienced is like it can happen to you at any time during the day, but let's say you wake up and for all, for some weird reason, you're just in a really great space. You just kind of harmony with life and everything seems to just be sort of clicking for you in a certain sense, right? So when you're in that sort of the experience of being where things just sort of click for you, they're happening, that's a more, lot more like what we're, what we're trying to talk about. Good actions come out of you in a state like that, almost, or not almost, but without effort. Right. The key and, is and, and, it, it seems uncaused, right? I, I feel good, but I don't know why. Yeah. It's yeah. the uncaused part that's really getting at beyond right and wrong or good and bad. It's like there's a seemingly uncaused kind of well-being yeah. or good, yeah. you could say. So the course, Taking the One Seat, a lot of the focus was, and I thought this was an interesting new direction for you, at least that I had not seen mm -hmm. in previous work. And it was more focused on how we are in the world. So mm -hmm. awakening is still there and it's a part of it, but it's, you could almost look at it as either a pre or post awakening way of tying what you'd call your deepest experience of being mm -hmm. to how you move through the world. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to talk through some of those things, but let's talk about from your perspective, what's the importance of having spiritual or self-transcendent, let's use that word, self-transcendent values, mm -hmm. values that go beyond yourself. What's, what's the importance of that in the sense of awakening? Okay. That's the key in terms of, in terms of awakening, because there, there, there are more not perfect, but they are a more accurate representation of the awakened perspective. Mm -hmm. That's why they represent it more, right? So not in all cases, but a kind of harmony is more representative to a unified worldview than utter chaos, murder, and mayhem, right? It's yep. like, oh, it's actually, that's a more accurate way of trans... Is it a translation? Sure, it's a translation, but it's a more accurate translation. So when we look at these things that actually human beings throughout history have deemed good for the most part, you know what I mean? To be, to be more self, selfless than selfish, mm -hmm. you know, to have more compassion is relatively better than having no compassion, closed heart. Um, you know, you could go on mm -hmm. and on and on in that vein. They're values, but only in one sense. They're values not in the sense that they're written in the sky somehow, you know, these values are what God endorsed. But there's values in the sense of they work best, right? It works best in life not to be resisting it all the time. It works best in life to be somebody who others think are, is dependable. It works best. It doesn't work that well if you're somebody that nobody feels like they can trust. Yep. Right? It, it, doesn't work, it, it doesn't work that well if everybody feels like you're on a hair trigger and you could, you could explode into rage at any second. Mm -hmm. It's not that that's morally written in the clouds that says that's wrong to be that way. It's just it doesn't function very well. Both in a Both for relative and, and everybody else. And in a relative and absolute Both. sense. Right. So when I was getting that, what I called during that course, soul values, yes. were just ways of saying, whatever your deepest experience of being is when you are in that space of being, what is it inclined towards? Can you give an example? Sure. I'll even, we'll use one. We'll even take it out, out of the sort of awakening area. Mm -hmm. Something really garden variety. Again, when we were just talking a few minutes ago, you wake up on the right side of the universe. You don't know why. You just feel a little better that day. You got an extra smile, let's say. Everybody has those days from time to time. And if you'd never notice, when you're having that kind of day, which is characterized by less internal conflict, that's what's really going on, when you have less internal conflict, you treat the world in a different way than when you have a lot of internal conflict, right? Relatively speaking, you tend to be more ni nicer, right? You're more available. You take a little more time. You're all these things, right? But we, we might call them spiritual values. But really... They're just what flows out of somebody when that person is not in conflict with themselves. So again, it's not like they're written in some abstract ledger up in the sky. It's like, this is just 
When you feel good, you tend to treat the world pretty good. When you feel awful, you tend to treat the world less good. Yep. Even if you want to treat it better, it's harder for you to treat it better. It sure is. When you feel awful. <laughs> you know yep. what I mean? And this is where a lot of this came to me was when I started to notice just this epidemic of meaninglessness that I was just have been encountering in people for years and years and years and years. Just our whole sort of structure, like I said in that course, which is mostly religion until 150 years ago or so, we were born into a value structure. This is, this is how life should look. Yep. Right. And this is what's good. And this, and it was all because God thought it was good, but basically you're born into that. And so without even knowing it, it is ordering your entire life without you knowing it. Right. And then all you have to do is try and live up to that, which is certainly challenging, but you don't have to figure it all out. Right. Now we don't have that religious story that that many people are orienting their entire lives around. Some do, but overwhelming the, 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 the as a culture, we moved on from that yeah. You know, 100 years ago, certainly 50 years ago, for better and for worse. Mm-hmm. But it puts us in a kind of a unique place, right? Because it's like, oh, you just had the scaffolding of Western culture torn away and thrown away. Okay, now what's going to hold it up? See, there's not immediately a new story that comes in and fills that gap and says that as a collective, right? Like, so like in our country, so politically, let's say, one of our biggest problems is we can't figure out what's good for both of us, all of us, right? We don't have we in our cultural dialogue. Mm-hmm. We is the people on my side. That's who, that's who the we is. But the actual we is people on all sides of an issue. But we don't have a North Star anymore. You know, we mm-hmm. used to have it. It wasn't just religious. It was also political. You know, our, we're, the, we're the bastion of freedom in the yep. free world and all Liberty. that kind of stuff. Yeah which we can accept or reject, but I think we don't really, it's hard for us to understand how those things literally gave order and meaning to life. And then they all kind of start to collapse within about a 75 to 100, 100 year, yep. very quickly. And, and then the orientation and meaning becomes about comfort and feeling good. Right. That becomes our new orientation to meaning. And if that is the meaning of our life, our life is going to feel increasingly more and more and more and more meaningless. Because those things, to use your phrase earlier, don't work. They just don't work. Whatever it is about being human at a fundamental level, that's not what satisfies a human. Right. Right. And at least for me, I like taking it down to that level because it takes a lot of the charge out. Like if you just go, it just doesn't work. That's, a, yep. that's much less charged than you're an awful person for even entertaining that thought. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I was just entertaining a thought that doesn't actually work very well. The world is changing faster and faster today, and there's so much uncertainty. And one of the skills that we need to deal with it is to be able to learn things quickly. And the best way I've found to do that is Blinkist. Blinkist is a unique and powerful app that works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. And basically what they do is give you the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from over 3,000 nonfiction bestsellers. They can Condense them down into blinks, which you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. I've found it really helpful for me over the last few weeks to really get up to speed a lot more on racial issues in this country. They've got a ton of great books out there that you can look at, like The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. 
White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, and so many more. And now they've got a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash wolf to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership and up to 65% off audiobooks that are yours to keep forever. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash wolf to get 25% off a premium membership and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash wolf. The people who drive industries, entertainment, and culture shape our world every day in bold and dramatic ways. But did you ever wonder how they got there? Behind the Talent features in-depth conversations with people who identify and develop talent, the people who find the people that shape our world. Guests include big league sports scouts, rock star talent agents, and CIA officers. Uncovering the skills and challenges that unite them all is the job of host David Mead, He's an expert speaker and educator, and he brings his own curiosity and insights to each interview to expand our understanding of what it means to be a recruiter in today's world of work. Brought to you by Indeed.com, Behind the Talent is a must-listen for anyone interested in the secrets behind identifying talent and unlocking potential in individuals and organizations. Subscribe to Behind the Talent now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. It's Chris with a quick message before we get back to the rest of this interview. We have a relatively new benefit for our Patreon supporters. Some of you may have heard of this, but we now have ad-free episodes that the Patreon supporters can listen to. And not only can you listen to them, you need to do nothing special. You just listen to them straight from your normal podcast player. You also get all the bonus content. For example, the second part of the Adi Ashanti interview, there's nearly an hour of extra conversation that only Patreon supporters can listen to. So go to oneufeed.net slash support for more details and to make a donation. Thanks so much. As always, it means a lot to us. I've often loved the Buddhist way of referring to actions as skillful or unskillful, right? Which I think is really, really good. Lately, I've started to think about, you know, epidemic of meaninglessness also in the sense, and again, I think you're, you're right, that it's charged. For a lot of people, morals are charged mm-hmm. with a negative thing. But there's been a part of me that started to go, well, what about something being right because it's good for people beyond just me? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. About, about good for, you know, but I guess then to go to a non-relative absolute view, right? Mm-hmm. There isn't that good mm-hmm. and bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, to me, see the apps, I would think of it as it's not that good and bad is erased, right? Because there's still something that can happen. Say, in one sense, you can say a story. Our Zen teacher, Robert Atkin, he was one of the very first American Zen masters. And he was giving a talk on the absolute point of view. And someone interrupted him at some point and said, can I ask a question? He says, sure. He says, so if I understand and you write, what you're saying is if we, this was during the 80s, if we launch the nuclear weapons and we blow this whole entire place, the kingdom come, really nothing's either gained or lost and it doesn't really matter. And Aitken said, that's exactly what I'm saying. And then a little pause. And then he said, yes, but what about all the blood? And so that was his way of saying, yeah, that's true, but that's not the end of the story. There's still blood. There's still unimaginable suffering if that was to happen. You don't just nicely whitewash all that away because you've changed your philosophy. Like that's, a, that's a reality. Yeah. So both of them, I think that's hard for our, con- our minds, which are very conventional, is to see that two things that seem to be polar opposites can actually be simultaneously true and useful. Right. It doesn't matter, but it does. Yeah. And that's certainly what I saw of nothing at all matters like I thought it did. And a few minutes later, everything matters more than I ever dreamed possible. And they're both true. Right. Now, when my mind reflects on it, it's probably like anybody else's mind. You know, our mind is trapped in duality. It's like, well, what do I do with that? But in experience... We can hold experiences that are much more paradoxical than our minds know what to do with. Yep. You know? So, but I think that's what leads to 
a, a balanced kind of awakening because there's as many varieties as awakening. I mean, they're, you know, I mean, I'm talking about authentic way, not that's the thing where everybody says if they change their mind, they had an awakening. But I mean, <laughs> if we, even if it's in the genuine category, there's a lot of variation within, mm-hmm. within how that shows up for each person, you know, and yep. that's, and then that is always being translated. Your awakening, even if you don't know it, even if you're not doing it consciously, you're translating your own awakening down into relative terms constantly. Yep. The question is, is it just happening automatically, just as brute conditioning? And maybe it's accurate and maybe it's not. Or am I actually bringing some consciousness to it? Do I know what's happening? Yeah. And... I mean, in one sense, we're kind of doing nothing less than rebuilding a meaningful context for life when we're doing that. Yep. Now, I like. I think I never saw that as important. People would ask me about meaning and purpose. I'd say I don't really relate to them anymore. And until the day that I really looked at it, and I thought, actually, that's not true. It's just that what gives my life meaning and purpose is so integrated that it's not even a self-conscious thing anymore. Mm-hmm. So oriented towards truth and love. Those yep. are my always, even before spirituality, those are my, my life orientations. And those are your soul values. They were my soul values long and I can remember. Doesn't mean that I've lived them out with perfection any more than anybody else would, but it means those are, those are the things. And those almost unconsciously can't give my life orientation for sure. And also a kind of meaning. It's just not the meaning that we think of as in the egoic mode, where we want a nice story, say, this is what your life's about. The kind of meaning I'm talking about isn't where you can make a nice little statement. It's the experience of meaning yep. rather than the thought of meaning. Yep. There's that, I think it's the Joseph Campbell quote. That's, I don't think most people are looking for meaning so much as the experience of being alive or yeah, something I, I, something to that effect. I think he's exactly right. Right. So a couple different ways you say it. Meaning is an experience that we bring to an activity. It originates in us, not in the activity itself. And, you know, meaning and purpose are not derived primarily through what you are doing, but rather through the state of being that you are in. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that most of us look at an activity and think that that activity is either meaningful or meaningless Mm -hmm. as an activity. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're saying is the activity in some ways is neutral. Mm -hmm. It's the spirit, the meaning is in what I bring to it. That's right. We, We give it an action meaning or we do the opposite and we take meaning away. We make it meaningless, which is actually to, to confer a kind of meaning onto something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's how I see it. It's not like things are abstractly somewhere floating in the universe. There's this idea of of goodness or something, right? That that kind of that comes from us, which is the same place it's always come from. Mm-hmm. It's always oriented in within us. You know, for some people, that's not very comforting. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's not you mean us like I don't want like I want something that's ordered by some bigger bigger principle. You know, or whatever it is, whether it's God or you know, something like that. But we're in a kind of position where it's almost like the universe is saying like, "Okay, what's it going to be? What are you going to orient around? What's what is that going to be?" And the reason I call them sort of self-transcending values, because I think our deepest values and the things that do provide a kind of experience of meaning are things that are, are they're strangely good for us and good for everybody else. Uh-huh. There's nothing selfish about them, which is, I think, really kind of interesting. Like what's good for me is in the end, what's good for you and what's good for you is in the end, what's good for me. Yep. That's a pretty... It's one of those easy things to say that's kind of at the same time pretty radical if, yeah. we, if we actually apply it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's how these things developed over thousands and thousands of years of storytelling. What was actually was human beings were what we still are, which are big experimentation labs. And over the thousands and thousands of years, we start to see 
being this way works better than being that way, mm-hmm. right? So now we'll call this good because it works better. It works better for me and my family and the people I love and everything. And we'll call this other way bad because it doesn't work for me and it doesn't seem to work for anybody else either. Yep. You know what I mean? But all that's being derived literally out of generations of experience. Yeah. And then we'll pop it into a religious story. And, you know, but right. it, it actually came out of thousands of years of human experience. Yeah. And I think that's not a contradiction to what you said earlier, but that those are the things that seem to emerge naturally. Mm-hmm. You said struggling internally, you know, I mean, I think yeah. when we're not so conflicted, when we're not so lost in, right. in our own lives. And I mean, I think, you know, you often ask like people like, what is it about awakening that you want? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think for me, it's, I want to be free of the burden of myself. Mm -hmm. Like it's a heavy burden to carry sometimes. It sure is. You know, it's a... It's the heaviest one we got. Yeah. It's a, and and recognizing how often that just leads me and the people around me into, you know, it's not good for us. Mm -hmm. You know, I suffer when I think mostly about myself and yet... Myself just seems to think mostly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it just happens. <laughs> That's you know? what selves it's, do, yeah, right? Yeah, they just exactly. think about themselves. You know? and, so, <laughs> um, and that idea of meaning, though, I think is so important because I see the meaninglessness also. And I also talk to a lot of people who I think have what could be considered very meaningful lives mm-hmm. if the story was different around them. Yes. We have this tendency to say, like, being a parent is the most important thing. It's such a wonderful thing, right? Mm-hmm. I think we can all, everybody goes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But people who are being parents in the moment of being parents mm-hmm. aren't reflecting that back on themselves. Right. They're right. thinking that what's meaningful is I have to do something for some kid in Africa. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right, where right. meaning yeah. comes. Mm-hmm. And you tie that with our cultural thing that says you have to be big and seen and known. And all of a sudden, in order to be meaningful, it's similar to like pleasure. There's no end point. You can't get enough of it right. if that's the definition, yeah. you know? And so yeah. I just look at, I, I just think we do a lot of suffering because the things in our lives are meaningful. And if you take us outside of our life and ask us questions, we'll go, well, yeah, that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. But moment to moment, day to day, yeah, we don't see those things as meaningful. Yeah. We don't think of them as meaningful. And thus we live our lives looking for a meaning. Mm-hmm somewhere else when it's all there's so many meaningful things right in front of us. Well, that's it, isn't it? This isn't an overstatement as far as I'm concerned. We literally become, by the time we're 10 years old, we're like a bunch of drug addicts. And we've had pushed upon us these certain ideas. This is what you need to do to feel worthy or accepted, or meaningful, or, and it's not like somebody comes up and tells us that blatantly, but we pick them up here and yeah, there. They're as so embedded. Up. They're just totally embedded. Right, right. So you don't even, you like have them, but you don't know that you have them, you know, unless you, if you put something on your Facebook page, if you get less than 10 responses, you're somehow a defective human being. If you get 20, you're, you're on a good roll. Until the next time you need 30. Mm-hmm. You get 20 a few times and that's no longer good. It needs to be 30. <laughs> that's the thing of like, um, am, I in, am I wanting to become conscious of, of that? Am I, am I, have I gone through the rat race of that long enough? Yep. You know, then, then we start to question. And anytime we start to question meaning, whatever is giving us meaning, it's we go through a sort of no man's land in that process, right? You start to see, oh, actually that that way of being doesn't actually work very well for me or for others. If you just saw that about something that you derive great meaning from, for a while you're kind of in a no man's land. Mm -hmm. Where's my connection point now? And so I think we have a sort of innate fear or uncomfortability with getting to that place where we feel that kind of disconnected no man's land. Like, what's it all about? Yep. You know, we do that in our teens, and then we might revisit it in our midlife. Yeah. <laughs> but we try very hard, very hard to forget it at every other point yep. along the way. Yeah, I think it's a it's that combination of that part of it's hard to step into no man's land reminds me of 
the idea of getting sober. And when I talk to people, it's like, that sucks. Because mm-hmm. you got to go, but you got to go through that process. The other side of that is something decidedly different. Yeah. Don't mistake this. But I think that when we do step yeah. out of, all right, my meaning is by making myself happy and whatever consumerist and different things, and I step outside that, I don't immediately get swept up in the arms of love. Right. right? right. And those things work temporarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's very difficult to, you know, I think it's why it's difficult for people to get sober. It's like, mm-hmm. All right, this is mostly awful, but when I step outside of it, it's even more awful temporarily, and I could just do that thing, and I'd feel a little bit better for now. And right, you know, right and so now. I think it's the same piece. So tie this yeah. back to identifying our soul values and trying to orient our life around them. Yeah. Okay. So when we start to find out what those soul values are, and you don't have to take a lot of time making sure they're the perfect ones for you, or they're just you know just start somewhere. <laughs> You know, because a lot of times they'll change over your lifetime. Or you may think, I got it today. And then two days later, you're like, well, now that I've seen a little more, uh, there's this other thing that seems more true. So don't try to be 100% true to start with. But so, like, let's take the ones that I had. Truth. And then I thought, well, how can I work with that today? Because to me, today is the important phrase always. Like, now, today. How can I work with that? Well, what if I... What if I saw, checked out and see what it's like to not even tell the shade, to shade the truth at all for a day? Let me just not shade. Let me just say what's true for a day. And, you know, that sounds easy. And then you start to do it. <laughs> it and it's like, holy smokes. Yeah. That's not, as, that's not as simple as I thought. But it's really interesting. You know what I mean? That's really yep. fascinating. Okay, I say I love truth, but how much do I or love? Okay, well... What if, I, I remember I gave people a practice, several courses I did ago, where f- just for one day, everybody that they were going to have a discussion with of any kind whatsoever, even if it was a stranger at the grocery store, before you open your mouth and say anything internally while you're looking at this person, just, rem- just say to yourself, I love you. To them, right? You're like, basically look at them, not saying, but in your mind, you're saying, I love you. And just see how that changes the end of the day you can reflect back on all those interactions you had and see did it change it at all right something you just said to yourself you didn't acknowledge so what was i was what what i was trying to do was orient somebody more into their heart space just by saying that yep some people wrote me back and said i can't i don't feel like i can say that cuz it just seems so phony Right? I don't feel like I love that person. Maybe I you know, have a big problem with them. And I'd say, okay, you know the direction we're going in with this exercise about love. What's something you could say that would challenge your boundary, but also feel relatively true? You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so someone had said, okay, um, like one person came up with, I'm trying to accept you right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I said like, if, if that's the truest <laughs> thing you can come up with, right? That's better than immediate resistance. Yeah, that's funny. Anyway, yep. so there's, there are ways that if we take it out of the esoterica, mm-hmm. you know, we bring it right down into the real life, that's where it's interesting. Yep. Yeah, okay, well, how, what does truth and love look like right now? Yep. What is it? Because that's the only thing that matters, right? The big theory about it is kind of of secondary value. Yep. So whatever somebody gets, gratitude, and some people have written in, wrote in service, and there's other, you know, there's quite a few that they, they wrote in with, but just translate it right down into a practical something you can do today. Like, right. If this is what gives my life value and meaning and orientation, is there actually any relevantly good reason why I wouldn't commit myself to that value for the next 24 hours and just see what happens? knowing that in le- at least part of me is a flawed human being. That I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. Part of the time. That's right. And if I know that uh, beforehand, and if I can be okay with that, right? If I don't have to be in competition with myself forever, I'm trying to be something or somebody that I'm not. But then I can just see, well, what would that look like to, to act on that just for today? Tomorrow I yep. can change my mind. Yep. Anyway, and what starts to happen is not only do you, does there become an opportunity for a different orientation, 
But what often I found when I was teaching this stuff with people, what they what they really find out is the orientations that they're already living by, but they didn't know it. You know, the, the resentment that they had that was like a theme throughout their entire life, but they didn't even know they had it until yep. they started to look into what gives my meaningful yep. orientations. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know I had that. I love perfect bars. I've talked about them before on here, how much I love them, how many of them I've eaten, which is an extraordinary number. But there's not just perfect bars. The company, Perfect Snacks, make a variety of products like protein bars, peanut butter cups, and kids' snack bars. And they're all made with freshly ground nut butter, organic honey, and 20 organic superfoods. You're sure to find something that you'll love. Of course, my favorite is the standard perfect bar, dark chocolate, chip peanut butter, although their peanut butter cups are amazing too, and you keep them in the fridge and so they're cold. If you're not already convinced, they're also non-GMO, project verified, they're gluten-free, they're soy-free, they're kosher, and they're low GI, and they are delicious. So right now, Perfect Snacks is offering 15% off your online order. Just go to perfectsnacks.com slash wolf. Shop their refrigerated snacks at perfectsnacks.com slash wolf today to get 15% off your order. We want you to be prepared for snack time. So go to perfectsnacks.com slash wolf to stock up and save 15%. You've got a couple lines. They're the kind of thing you read and you go, that's incredibly true. And I wish there's a part of me wishes I didn't see that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like, if you don't like the way your life is going, look at what you value and your choices of action. You know, um, at every moment we are given expression to what we value. A corollary to that is somebody says, I don't have time. And you say, well, no, actually, it's just not that important to you. You're not prioritizing it. Mm -hmm. Those are difficult truths. Mm -hmm. They are truths, Mm -hmm. you know. And they're challenging. And they're very challenging. And and they, they, they are a very concrete way to look at what do I value? What am I valuing? Mm -hmm. At the same time, you've said, I've heard a phrase you use that I love, which was nothing shuts down consciousness or awakening faster than judgment. Right. So I look at that and I go, all right, I'm not valuing, you know, okay, I look at Mm -hmm. my life and clearly I must value um, Netflix more than my child, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, hang on. You know, like, so how do we work with these things, these soul values, which are the same in a lot of ways, love, truth, be kind, Mm -hmm. that are the values that we've had in certain cases put on us from externally. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's something that comes with that. How do we work with those in a way that we don't use them as clubs yeah. to, to beat ourselves further? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, of course, to, to acknowledge how often we do use them as clubs, you know, against, against ourselves for the judgment. I think underneath all this, especially for sort of the spiritual persona those people who are kind of spiritual persona oriented, there's a sort of a secret thing that goes on in a lot of spiritual personas, which is basically, I'm going to get out of this human game. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to yeah. be here, but not really be here. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever it is, right? And it's some version of not really coming to grips with the relative human experience of imperfection, that you will screw up, that you will not do something exactly the way you would like to do it, that that's part of what the makeup seems to be. Every tradition has its explanation for why, right? Yep. Whether it's your karma, 
which is you screw up in some past life. Original sin. Original sin or, or some in the East. And sometimes it's just sort of a cosmic oops. It's Maya. It's a, it's a mistake. There's all these stories, but they're all pointing to the same experience of being, you know, which is why am I, why am I so damn imperfect? Why am I so terribly far away from, you know, from, from imperfection? Okay. So you can make a story that helps that, helps that, makes that easier to bear. But as an experience, it can be, um, can I, without turning it into an excuse for unwise behavior, what would it be like if I just acknowledged that I'm one of those imperfect human beings too? And like, try it on for size. Because then you're not, you're no longer in competition with humanity. Right, you're not the spiritual person trying to be just a little above everybody, and we'll call that enlightenment. You know, you're like, no, you just let go of that little projection. You realize part of you, you're you're human, you know, that human. That's oh, you're right down there with everybody else. Okay, so then you become more comfortable with imperfection, which is the whole reason for a little exercise like this. Is not so you make make an excuse out of it, right? Honey, all those crappy things I did to you, they're all okay because uh, you convinced me that I'm imperfect and <laughs> believe me, I've heard worse. And get in the kitchen. Right, exactly. <laughs> I've, I've, I've heard justifications that <laughs> bring me as close to violence as I'll probably get. <laughs> um, but anyway, you get the kind, of, the kind yeah. of feeling of it. You know, I think there's that part of us that just doesn't want to let, let that in. But once that's allowed in, you're not, then you're not just defeated every time unconsciousness takes over. Yep. You don't see it as some sort of moral, complete defeat. You see it as like, okay, well, that's pretty human, isn't it? All right. Yep. And you just carry on. You just pick up and you carry on. You know, it comes back to kind of the serenity prayer in a weird way. You know, you know what you can do, know what you can't do. Which is a kind of way of saying, like, be aware of your human limitations. Be aware of them. Don't make them wrong. It's funny how you can transform something that you don't see as wrong way easier than you can transform something that you see as wrong. Yep. The more wrong we see some part of our nature, the harder it is to transform. Yep. But it doesn't work either to just hide our head in the sand and say, there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. It must be you. Yeah. That doesn't work either. There, yeah. There's some weird, I can't quite put my finger on, you know, the idea of like hitting bottom and in drinking, right? People hit that at different points. Right. There's some, there's some combination between consequence and hope mm-hmm. that seems to lead to behavior change. I, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what, I don't know what the equation is and it's probably different for everybody, mm-hmm. but it seems those are both part of the equation yeah because if all you have is i suck this is awful you know right i'm a terrible person that doesn't work that doesn't work if all you have is like it's fine yeah that doesn't work right you know it's that it's that getting those two things in some sort of equilibrium and yeah yeah well any kind of whether it's from drug or alcohol abuse or spirituality can which can cause you to bottom out too if everything goes well (laughs) actually you'll go through that um but it seems like a hallmark of any kind of bottoming out is your final willingness to just to 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 be honest with yourself. You're like you're just finally willing to be honest. Know what you can do. Know what you can't do. Know what your strengths are. Know what your weaknesses are. It's the beginning of coming to a kind of peace about all, all of it. Yep. You know, it seems to me anyway, because that's part of when you. And you bottom out and you usually there's witnesses too. By the time you've gotten that far, you're not the only one that notices you've bottomed out, yep. which is often important too, because it, you know, you can't, you can't hold that person image you want to be up to somebody yep. that's watched you bottom out. Yep. That's a really positive thing actually. Right. You know? Yep. Um, and so it- to be quite honest, I mean, I don't have it all figured out of this whole thing of people 
human being just feeling sort of some innate sense of wrongness about themselves, you know? Um, it's not my area of expertise because I haven't actually really lived, lived with it. I've had plenty of moments, you know, growing up in life where I was disappointed in myself or something, but I never had that sense of sort of existential unworthiness, just for whatever reason, mm-hmm. you know? I just didn't, it was always very situational and, and when the situation changed, it would change. Yep. You know, but it seems like 99% of human beings do have some sort of, yeah, I, I think it's good enough. Yeah. I think it's difficult to separate what comes down is those sort of religious myths of original sin or whatever. And from what we've got culturally today, which is yeah. just, I mean, the entire engine of our economy is you're not good enough. Yes. You need something else. I mean, that, I mean, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be like a communist, you know, I'm just, but, <laughs> right. but if you look at it, that's the, that's the engine. I need to make you want something that you don't have. Sure. That drives right. it, you know? Yeah. And it, that's. Yeah. I've told people if they, when they said, gosh, we just all need to awaken. And I said, don't be so sure. Everybody awakens tomorrow. We have an economic catastrophe. <laughs> exactly. You would. I mean, there's no yeah, doubt. Economic I mean, it, catastrophes in the end cause people their actual human lives. Yeah. So, you know, what would you do if all that motivating force... I'm, I'm willing to find out. <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm not willing to find out a world how that looks, but I'm a no illusion that the transition into that world... Would not would be, be pretty. It would not be pretty. Yeah. It, it almost couldn't be pretty the way it was all set up. Yeah. You know, but I think it's, yeah, it's that idea of, you know, hopefully we are incrementally walking towards being better. Well, there's a thousand more things we could talk about, and we will cover some of them in the post show conversation that we give to our Patreon listeners. But Adia, thank you so much again for talking with me, spending so much time hosting me here. Welcome, Eric. It's been great to be with you. Excellent. Yeah. If what you just heard was helpful to you, please consider making a donation to the One You Feed podcast. Head over to oneufeed.net slash support. The One You Feed podcast would like to sincerely thank our sponsors for supporting the show.